Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Florian and Shannon Radke from Cineholic, a vegan bakery franchise offering handmade vegan cinnamon rolls with more than 30 different flavours and toppings. The couple, who are both animal activists and ethical vegans, met through the Couchsurfing.com website in 2008 in a group for vegetarians and vegans, where Shannon offered to take like-minded travellers on a tour of San Francisco. Florian was planning a trip from his native Germany to couchsurf around California. Shortly after meeting in person, they fell in love. Shannon, who'd worked in various administrative jobs and copywriting, also discovered another passion, baking. With Florian's vast experience in brand marketing through his successful creative agency in Berlin, Cineholic was born, with the first location opening in 2010 in Berkeley, California. Another five locations, including Nevada, Texas and Georgia, followed. In 2014, the couple appeared on the TV show Shark Tank and pitched their venture. They received an investment deal from Robert Hajavik worth $250,000 to develop their online business. After initially accepting the deal, they realised that Robert had a different vision for the company and they parted ways, very amicably, and he's continued to be very supportive. Despite walking away from a quarter of a million dollar deal, in 2015 the pair announced plans to launch an additional 25 Cineholic franchises across the US. In this interview, Florian and Shannon talk about how growing too fast is not always right for a business and why it's important to have the courage to turn down lucrative deals if you and potential investors or partners don't share the same vision. Why they chose a franchise model to grow their brand. The importance of support networks and hiring experts to help you grow. How passion and a willingness to learn can often be more important than experience in a particular field and much more. Here's the interview with Shannon and Florian Radka. Hello, Florian and Shannon. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having us. Hi. <laughs> so I'm very, uh, very interested and intrigued to, to hear about your story. Um, let's begin, first of all, with the reasons why you do what you do. So you started Cineholic. Um, tell us a bit about the reasons behind it and what drives you to do what you do. Um, we're both long-term ethical vegans and um, always wanted to contribute to the, you know, the awesome vegan food movement and pushing that forward. And when I met Shannon before we were even married and when I, when I got to know her, I realized how, what an amazing baker she is. And she just impressed me with all her baking. And then, you know, out of, out of, falling in love and and it being centered around um you know her passion for food and baking the business idea came to be and and that's what we want to do and we decided let's let's just do a bakery and and you know use that to push to push the vegan movement forward 
Fantastic. I really love the way that vegan businesses are, are doing activism. A lot of people sometimes think that business is on one side and activism is something separate. And I really love that businesses such as yourself are really bringing them close together and showing that running a vegan business is a form of, of activism. So thank you very much for, for sharing that. So tell me a little bit about how your previous professions have been useful in starting up and running Cineholic and particularly kind of, you know, what skills have been particularly helpful. Well, my background is um, brand marketing and communications. So I worked in big, big fancy agencies in Europe uh, for, for big fancy clients. And then uh, when I moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area, I started working mostly with technology startups. Um, I'm also an advisor um, for 14 years now for PETA, helped them with their campaigns. So, you know, communications is what I really love doing. And I always wanted to create a brand from scratch that then we, you know, you can see grow and, and turn into something bigger and amazing. And Shannon's background, um, I mean, she's not even a professional baker. I mean, now she is. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, when, but when we started, you were a hobby baker and, and worked before in, in accounting and other things. And I think that she's very good at making lists so that... <laughs> Yeah, I have a nice mashup of of skills from like clerical and restaurant stuff and accounting. I I have a huge range of things that I've done in the past and finally found something that I'm passionate about. That's wonderful. I'm really glad you shared that because obviously those are great skills to have both of you from your your previous professions. But I, I particularly like Shannon that you were able to go into this business in something that you know you're that's quite new and different. Because sometimes people go, oh well, if you're going to start a business, you've got to have a whole load of experience in it, and you haven't necessarily. So you know if you've got that passion and that willingness to learn. So I'm, I'm really glad that you've uh, you've shared that because I think that'll inspire quite a lot of people to uh, to start businesses, even though they may not necessarily have the skills straight away to, to do that particular thing. That's fantastic. So let's yeah, talk I, about Sharp. I, yeah, go. Sorry, sorry. To, um, I just want to um, point out real quick that um, even more so, we can see that with our franchisees that opened the new locations. For example, the person that took over our Berkeley location, our original location that is now a franchise, um, she had no background in, in any like food or retail. She was a copywriter. Um, and, you know, wanted to do something different, though she is an ethical vegan and was really, you know, intrigued by having, by owning and running a vegan business and, and pushing that forward. So I think the passion plays a big role in being able to do this. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. that that's really great. So let's talk about Shark Tank. Um, you got a deal of, I think it was $250,000, but then you changed your minds because the shark had a different vision. Um, that's how I understand it. So can you elaborate a bit on that as, as much as you're comfortable or, or able to share? Sure. Um, we, yeah, in general, we can't share much about that because it's all the only negotiations happen under NDA. Um, but in general, it's, I don't know how many of your viewers have seen the show, uh, your listeners have seen the show. Um, if you haven't, you might want to just look it up online. Um, it's a it's Shark Tank episode where Cineholic is on. And as you can see on the show, um, we come in there with a certain vision and um, the offer that we're getting were for, were for something different 
And then we just decided, well, let's just try it and, and go with it. Um, specifically, the offer was for doing an online business because it's, it's, it's more scalable. It's, it's easier to make quick money on that. And that's what Shark Tank is really about. You know, all those investors, they want to invest in something that they get a quick return and, and, and make, a, make a you know, quick amount of money um, on, on their investment. And then when we really sat down and thought about it, um, we kind of figured out we don't want to go in a giant major scale with our online business. And we tried it for a little bit. Um, you know, when Shark Tank aired, things went crazy and we had a huge amount of online sales to fulfill. And we realized that really that's not, it's not the same product anymore. It's, you know, it's a, it's a mass produced, mass scale product. And we then scaled it back and we are limit, limiting online sales right now. So you can only, we only allow a certain amount of people to order per week and then we just cut it off. And um, that way we have way more control over it and it's still a handmade product that we that we really have control over. But I do oh. want to add that the entire time Robert, um, the shark who gave us the offer, him and his team were helpful with any decision that we made. They were very nice all the way through and, and the offer, they said it still stands if we, you know, change our minds one day. So I, th- their team is really great. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good to know because I wasn't sure about the the details of it. So that that's really good to know. So so how soon after your appearance on the show and then you gave it a go, how soon did you kind of realize that it, it wasn't quite the right deal or it wasn't quite going to work out the way you'd hoped? Well, you know, when you do a business investment, both by both sides do their due diligence, and then just while doing that, I think we just realized. I think both sides probably realized it's it's not the best fit. And yeah, as, as Shannon said, I mean, they, they, those guys invest in so many companies. It's really not that big of a deal for them. So um, there was no hard feelings. Nothing it was a very friendly agreement thing. Maybe that's not, not the best fit. And then we just parted ways. Okay. Now, I mean, I think a lot of people listening to to the podcast today, you know, for them, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, wow, you know, getting a deal, uh, you know, and that much money would be a major kind of thing. Um, So I'm just curious, when you realized it didn't work out, how did you feel and kind of cope with that? Because I imagine a lot of people would be really disappointed and, you know, kind of freak out a little bit, whatever. So I'm just curious, how did you handle the situation? Well, you know, I've been in the in the in the vegan scene for um, 14, 15 years now. I know I know a lot of very smart people that started their own businesses based, you know, vegan businesses. If it's a food or, or or fashion or whatever business, and I know a lot of very smart entrepreneurs. And if you if you talk to those people, they all every every single one will tell you there is such thing as as growing too quickly which can really ruin everything that you that you try to do. And yes, it, you know, it was a little, it was a hard decision to make to do, to, to really turn down such a quick growth. Um, but on the other hand, I think we learned a lot in, in what happened afterwards. And I think now growing our business and really focusing on the franchise business that we initially wanted to do anyway, um, we really, I think it's a healthier growth and, and it was probably better for us. 
got it. Yeah, for sure. I understand that. And you, you, it's, I think it's really good to point that out because, like I said, I think a lot of business owners, particularly if they don't have a huge amount of experience, they do get kind of excited by that and the, you know, the idea of growing quickly. But with it does come its challenges. So it's great that you, you really pointed that out. And also the fact that, you know, you had the courage to walk away because I think, you know, some businesses might be tempted to have stuck with it and watered down their product, you know, lost some of their, uh, you know, their principles, whatever. So I think it's really inspiring that you, you know, you were able to to walk away. I think one aspect of it, too, is that it was never about the money for us. Um, just the experience alone and the exposure was crazy in itself and and really positive. But it's it's about the passion and it's about being involved with the company still and watching it transform and watching it grow and being a part of that. It's not just about a payout. Right, right. So tell us what happened then. You obviously you you parted ways uh, on good terms with the shark, yet you've just announced the launch of 35 Cineholic franchises across the US. Um, How did you do it? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think she has a good point. Like just putting a lot of well, first of all, we put in uh, five years of really, really blood, sweat, and tears to grow our our flagship location to what it is and to really show people, hey, this can be a successful franchise. And then we just found, found we, I mean, I, we didn't know how to do a franchise. We just knew we wanted to. We had this crazy idea of one day being able to travel the, the United States and stop at all of our locations <laughs> and have a little road trip. <laughs> and... Um, you know, that is actually starting to shape up now. And it's really, really crazy to see that. But it was this vision. And then we figured out how do you do this? And um, we realized we need to team up with somebody who has done that before. So I actually went out and, and knocked on a lot of doors of people. I just looked up successful franchises and talked to people and pitched them our concept. And most of them said, yeah, come back when you have five locations, then we can you know, then you have something. And there were a few that said, oh, that's interesting. And so we found one partner who has a really, really great track record in scaling up, um, you know, one or two or three store businesses into major franchises. And he just had a big um, acquisition under his belt. Um, he, he, he sold a um, like a Mexican food concept, not vegan, though, but a big Mexican food concept to one of the one of the major um um, food groups in the U.S. And so I just knocked on his door and said, hey, you should check us out. And then fair, fair enough, he came he uh, came flying out here to California and he was supposed to just stay for a couple hours and have a quick chat. He ended up staying a whole day and, and, and extended the stay for another day. And by the end, when he, when he uh, flew back home, we had a letter of intent signed and knew we wanted to do something together. Fantastic. That's wonderful. And it's great to hear that, that, you know, you've, you've teamed up and that even if one deal doesn't work out, there's still a way to, to realize your vision. So that's fantastic. Just while we're talking about the, the franchise, then why did you um, choose a franchise model to expand? What, what appealed to you about it? Um, I, I didn't know much about the food industry before we started this venture. Um, I read a lot on it and try to educate myself and from all that I all the feedback that we got um, really so there's a lot of you'd be surprised how many um, entrepreneurs and business owner big and small are willing to just 
give you helpful information. And so we we tapped into a group of entrepreneurs here in the Bay Area um, that are spe- specifically specialized in food concepts. Um, and and we just sat down with them and asked them, and and they told us, you know, if you if you own if you want to scale up and you own each of your locations, it, it's great because you have so much control over it. But also you'll be traveling nonstop from location to location. You'll be responsible <laughs> all the time and you, you, you're going to be pulled in a million directions. And I just figured out if we want to grow this business, we can't, we can't work in the business. We need to work on the business. So we can't be stuck trying to manage five, six, seven locations. Um, we have to let other people do that and run their locations successfully. And then we can focus on the big picture. For me, I I look at stores like Cinnabon and I'm like, are you kidding me? Our product is so much better than that. Like if they can have franchises, then there's absolutely a way that we can do this too. Brilliant. And I love that you raised that point, Florin, about uh, being able to work on the business rather than in it, because that's so important, as you say, in order to grow. Otherwise, your time's being kind of taken up, literally kind of treading the wheels of um, of doing the actual business rather than being able to work on it. So that's great. Thank you for, for sharing that. What were some of the challenges involved in creating the franchise model? Were or are? <laughs> oh, well, both. <laughs> Uh, well, point. so far it's, it's been a fun <laughs> process, but I mean, you're you're starting from scratch, just like you would opening, you know, one store. It's just, it's just a different process, and you deal with all different personalities. And I guess just the first big step is getting on the same page and sharing your vision and everything with the people that you're working with, and and that's a lot of work in itself. Yeah. I think the way, so for two things, one is we said we needed to, to prove that this can be a franchise. Um, that's why we made the big decision to give up our baby that we built for five years and turned our, our, our flagship store into a franchise um, by handing it over to somebody else and said, uh, you now take this and run it. Um, and if, if that works, then we have the proof of concept and this can be a franchise model. Um, so that's what we did. We sold the, we sold the Berkeley store as a franchise to a, a very amazing person who is a really good friend now, um, and she just took it over and and is running it very very successful. Um, so that was uh, the first step. And the ne- next step was um, taking that knowledge that we that we gained from having her take over and put that in writing. I've never written a franchise manual before, and it took me. Um, a long time to to really figure out how to do that, and I read just every franchise manual I could, I could get my hands on. I would read it and try to replicate what other people did in terms of how it's structured and all that. And then, um, and that's still an ongoing revision thing as the stores open. Each store has specific needs that it's hard to to know what to address before they've opened. Yeah, right. So right. it is kind of like writing a book. You know, a lot of vegans get book deals. We got our own book deal with a little franchise manual. 
<laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because um, one of the people I interviewed for my book, Vegan Ventures, was Sharon Gannon of Jivamukti Yoga. And she's written lots of books, you know, wonderful spiritual books, books about yoga. But she said, you know, what I've written most of is staff procedural manuals. So it's, it's, it's interesting that you, you share that. Um, and, and the importance of having this, this kind of documentation. I think that's really great that you're sharing that, that people know that, you know, it, it's important to have these things in place. Out of curiosity, then, with your franchise model, given that you are ethical vegans and you're running your businesses on, on ethical vegan principles, like, uh, do you imagine, will all your franchises be owned by ethical vegans or do you have to kind of let go of that and say, well, as long as the person is running them on vegan principles, it doesn't matter if they themselves are vegan or not? It's not only, uh, I mean, if you say you have to let go of that, it's not so negative. I see it the other way around. If I can show somebody that you can be successful as a, with a vegan business if you, and you're not vegan yourself, you, you're getting so much closer to that idea of, hey, you know, there is actually something going on that's bigger than, than, than just a couple of a few crazy people that only eat plants. Um, you know, if you, I strongly believe if you want to change the way our food system works, you can only do it with demand. And, you know, we live in a capitalist society, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, and the only way you, you will change the system is by where the money comes from, where the money goes. And I really truly believe, I mean, we have franchisees that, that you know, they wanted to make a decision. Are they going to buy a couple Baskin Robbins or are they going to buy a couple Sinaholic franchises? And I believe by us giving them a vegan franchise, we're doing our part to shift the needle. I love it. I love the way you reframed that. Thank you very much. That's, that's a really great perspective. Um, so in, let's just go back a little bit to the beginning. When you first started up your first um, store, what were some of your key challenges then? Key challenges. Um, <laughs> think about that. Because I, I think there's a lot of people listening to this right now who are, you know, they're they're a bit like Shannon, you know, they've got this passion, they love making, you know, certain types of vegan pr food product and would love to start a business in that area. So I'm just curious, you know, what what are kind of some of the things that that are challenges right at the beginning? I think for me, it was dealing a lot with the city and the permits and just not there's no manual, you know, for for opening a business in a, in each particular city because they vary. So nobody really tells you what you need to do next. You just got to make a million phone calls and you're on hold. And that was pretty frustrating. And, um, but I mean, once, once you're past all the permits and once the doors are open and once you have the customers in, it's just about routine and maintenance and you find your groove, but it's, it's just getting in the door, I think was the tough part for us, just not knowing who we're supposed to call next or oops, I forgot to do that. Nobody really tells you what's next. Right, right. Got it. So in terms of then grow, we've talked a little bit about growing. Um, then as you opened your store, um, what kind of professional help did you like? When did you know it was time to start having staff, for example? Um, and what other kind of expert help have you had over the years to grow the business? Yeah, I think it's always good in the beginning that you should, you always need to accept everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses and you can't do it all. Um, you know, if you, if you are an amazing chef, you might really suck with bookkeeping and that's okay. And you should get somebody who can do that for you, even if it costs you a little bit of money 
in the long run, it will be worth it because, you know, you need to have your books in order to, to actually be able to look at your business and figure out what is your profit margin? Does this even make sense? Um, so that's one of the things we really decide, okay, we need a professional bookkeeper. We need, we need somebody that buys us. Um, I, I actually spent a good year while Shannon was working for a year on the recipe. I worked for a year on a business plan and I went to, to a person who is a like CFO type person who advises other companies. And I showed him my business plan and every time he would send me home and said, this is not good enough. This is not good enough. And it was really frustrating. And I could have done it without this person and would have had a way quicker success um, feeling at least because I figured I would have said, yes, I got a business plan, but it was so good to work with somebody who would really challenge you and send you back so many times until finally the day was where I gave him, I think the, the 10th or 12th revision of the business plan. And he looked at it and said, all right, now you have something. Now you can go and, and, you know, do this. Fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing that. It's that kind of weighing up at the beginning, isn't it? When you're particularly if you're a small business owner and you're trying to bootstrap and, and do everything yourself versus making an investment and getting professional help. So that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Now, what about competition? Um, you know, in, there's obviously a lot more vegan food in particular. You know, it's, it's expanded. The, the sector has expanded exponentially. Um, how do you go about standing out both within the vegan business arena and also outside of it and maintaining a steady flow of customers? I think over the last um, five, six years, vegan businesses have really grown um, specifically in our area. When we first started out in Berkeley, there there wasn't a whole lot of vegan businesses out there um, that were doing something similar to us. And still, our product is very unique. Um, just in general, we don't really have competitors, vegan or not vegan, unless you consider Cinnabon to be a competitor, but it really, it, it doesn't have anything to do with our product. Yeah. Um, so if your question is, is like, are we, do we like the competition or we don't? I would say absolutely. I love having the competition because a, it keeps you on your toes. You always want to be a step ahead and want to be better. If there's nobody to challenge you, then you, you know you might lose that drive, and your customers will feel that too. And B, obviously, the more vegan businesses, the better. So um, we actually have have people reach out to us that that are vegan business owners or want to start a vegan business and ask us, hey, can I can you can you maybe share some insights? And I love doing that. I really don't mind giving away all the secret how to start a successful business to anybody who wants to start a vegan business because I think it's great. For sure. And what I'm hearing then from you is the importance, uh, if you can, whenever you can, of having an, in an innovative and a unique product um, because, you know, nowadays we're no longer, you know, the, the only vegan cheese. You know, there's lots of different types of products, but maintaining some kind of unique um, selling point um, is important. And obviously you're, you're doing that with, with your products. So that, that's great. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. I, I also would say that um, you can't go out in the market anymore today or you, I mean, in general, period, you shouldn't go out in the market and your only um, unique selling proposition is my product is vegan. That doesn't fly because, um, the, yes, the vegan market is growing and growing and growing, but you can't, you can't have, if, a, if the product is not amazing, you shouldn't be out there selling your product, vegan or not. And just the fact that it's, that it's 
It has to be an amazing product and then also be vegan. That's how you succeed. Brilliant. Very good. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. So while we're talking about the word vegan, um, in terms of using it in your marketing materials on your website and how often or the prominence of the word, obviously there's two schools of thought and this is a question I ask everybody and I get so many different answers. One is, yes, it's great. You know, it's more positive now. We should use it and it's good niche marketing. And others are like, no, no, we should stick with plant-based or softer words. Tell us a bit about your your thoughts on that and, and your choice of how you use the word in your marketing or not and why? So from a, from a, from a brand and communications perspective, I think using the, the word vegan um, really depends on where, you, where your business is going. Um, there's big examples of B2B businesses like Hampton Creek and, and those ones that, that specifically cut out the word vegan and use words like plant-based um, because that's a different audience. They, they want to go they want to go and bed with the big players. They want to supply the Nestle's of this world and the, and the big food, food corporations. And for them, the word vegan is still a little too radical to really buy into that promise that there is a market. And plant-based and you know, plant-based healthy food is a, is a way better way to do that. I do see, though, for smaller businesses as a huge opportunity because it's easier to, to rule um, a niche than it is to rule a mass market. So if I can say, you know, I'm the I'm the I'm the best vegan cheese out there, um, that really puts you as a leader in this category, and the category is only growing. Um, at Expo West this year, everybody was talking about the vegan the vegan niche exploding, and all the big businesses want to get into it. Um, and I think I really think vegan is the new gluten free, and it's gonna it's gonna grow exponentially over the next years. Ah, that's wonderful. I'm glad you, you've shared that. It's interesting. I went to a trade show here in Sydney, Australia for the natural and organic sector. And I was amazed at how many of the products people had were vegan. You know, the owners weren't necessarily whatever, but they recognized that it was so important to brand their products, you know, along with paleo and gluten free and all these other tags. You know, the word vegan was really quite prominent. I was very pleasantly surprised. So that, that, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing that. Some good little sound bites in there. I like the fact that you said the vegan is the new gluten free. I think you should probably make that a tweetable. <laughs> <laughs> So um, what current, and obviously you've had a lot of exposure on, on Shark Tank, so a lot of people know about you, but what current marketing strategies that do you use right now and which are the most effective? You're the marketing guy. Oh, yeah, I am the marketing <laughs> I wanted to be polite, and that's her answer is, I just got shut down. Um, what, so I have to say, because our product is so unique, um, it, our marketing is really, I would say, 90% buzz marketing. So um, social media and then also um, buzz effect marketing, like doing doing like the daily deal stuff, like Groupon and Living Social. I don't know what in Australia is the big is the big uh, competitor to that. Um, um, but it's really yeah yeah. So because our product is so unique. We just got to get people in the door and they will come back. And it's also a very shareable product, right? That you can take amazing pictures of it and post it on social media and people will, will, will love it and, and retweet it or um, Snapchat it, whatever people do these days. And that's really one key element that we have to our product that is really 
helping us with the marketing. Cool. In terms of social media then, what social media platforms are you at, uh, most active on and that you find are most successful in terms of raising your brand awareness and generating leads and sales? I believe um, so far our online business, it's definitely Instagram um, really pushing because people see what people are buying in the store and then they want to want to try this and, and they go to our website and, and, and have a box shipped to them. Um, which, by the way, if, you, if any of your listeners want to do that, um, it's on cineholic.com and then you can order a box of cinnamon rolls. And also, um, what really good is for the for the stores is any any social media where you have geotargeting, where you can lock in. So um, um, Facebook, obviously, because you can check in. Um, Yelp, because you can check in. And then any other ones that you that you physically can check into the store and tell your friends I've been here and and share that experience that you just went to to Cineholic to get your cinnamon rolls. Yeah, Yelp has been great for us. We we have some pretty awesome reviews in there, and I think for me personally, that's what I look at when I'm looking for a new place or something specific. I want to see who has the best, so I go by reviews. Brilliant. That's great. I think that's really useful for people who have got vegan product uh, businesses um, to know that. That's great. Now, talking about media, you've obviously had a lot of media coverage, um, you know, because you're on Shark Tank. But did you approach the media directly? Did you use a publicist or PR firm or did they come to you simply because you were on the show? Um, both. So with, with my background, I mean, I we do a lot of our PR ourselves because I, I know how to do it. But also... It's always good to to again get professionals in the door, and um, specifically here in the in the U.S. there's a is a PR firm that is run by two ethical vegans that we work with, uh, which is Evolotas PR. Um, yes, yeah, that's Peter and Gary. Yes, yeah, Perfect. awesome. And they do some amazing work, and they've they've helped so many vegan brands really accelerate. And people are a lot of people are scared sometimes of PR because you you pay without really getting knowing what you get back. But if you have people like look at a PR company that and let them show you their track record and then talk to some of their clients and just ask them, are you happy? Are you, do you feel that the money you invest with them is, is worth it? And if most of them will tell you, yes, absolutely. Then you should maybe consider working with them. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. And you're right, Keisha and Gary from, from Evolutus are, are amazing. They're very experienced um, PR professionals, really know their stuff. Um, and also have the, the bonus, of course, is that they, they also share your passion. I think for me, that's important as well. I mean, my background is journalism, but I've also hired a publicist in the UK last year. And one of the reasons was not only the track record, but the fact that I knew she was so passionate about, um, you know, what I'm doing that you, you know, you can, you know, that they're going to pull out all the stops to do the best for you so that that's great thank you very much for for sharing that so what about for people who are listening to this and they're they really want to start a business to own a vegan run business but they're still employed got a salary job what in your opinion what are the key things they need to take into account before making the jump from employment to self-employed I almost brought that up earlier that I, I was very fortunate to have been at a job that allowed me a lot of free time um, but yeah, it took me a, a good year just in the permit process and doing all the research and everything, um, and being on hold and making phone calls. So if, if they're in a current full-time job, 
you can expect to put in a lot of work after or on your weekends. Um, but I was very fortunate in that way that my boss just kind of let me do whatever I wanted as long as my stuff was done <laughs> at the end of the day. So. <laughs> um, but also it really depends on the business, right? If you want to start your own business from scratch, yes, then you really should at least consider a year. You need to have an income for a year where, where you're only going to lose money on testing stuff and figuring things out. Um, plus you need a runway when you, when you open a business because you need to prove and, and refine your business model. Um, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to allow people to, to be part of our success with a franchise concept. Because if you buy a franchise, you have some, somebody like us who already done the work. We already, you know, made all the mistakes we can make for you. So you don't have to make them. So with, with that concept, um, if you, if you, if you find a vegan franchise that you're interested in, um, you can just, you know, start right away and, and, and benefit from all the resources and all the knowledge that's already there. So you don't have to figure that out the hard way yourself. Yeah, I think that's one of the real benefits of franchising. Yeah, for, for sure. Just on funding, um, actually, that's uh, kind of interesting to get your your views on on that. And and if you're comfortable in sharing, when you first started Cineholic, you know, uh, there are different ways, obviously, to fund a business. It might be you have savings or crowdfunding, which is, of course, the newer one, or seeking investors. What are your thoughts on some of that? And, and how did you first get Cineholic off the ground? Uh, we our first location we self-funded and we we took a risk, but we never took a risk that that would cost us our, you know, our life not the lives but our you know, we wouldn't be left on the street if this business failed. And in fact, if you start your own business um, with your own new concept that you don't know is going to work or not, um, you need to expect to maybe after six months realize that didn't work out and then you need to go back finding a nine to five job working for somebody else and just eat the losses and, and, you know, be okay with it. And that's, I would, I would never recommend anybody starting out a business. If you can't, if, if you really uh, struggle to, to put the funding together. And also it's not a good idea to, to take on a loan or a huge, risk otherwise or with friends and families if you don't know if your concept is going to work or not because you really don't want to be having having this this big um thing looming over you and always having to think about oh my god i can't fail i can't fail i can't fail that's really yeah that's really good advice what are your thoughts on crowdfunding because obviously it can be great to get a you know a good injection of cash but i wonder if there's also maybe some risks involved in that you might get that initial influx of cash but then you know, then what happens afterwards. So what, what are your thoughts on that? I personally think crowdfunding is a really great democratized way of helping people to start business. And if, if you're good in what you do and if you communicate it well, then you get people that love you and will crowdfund you. I personally have advised um, two big crowdfunding campaigns, one one for the, for the film Conspiracy and then the next one for the follow-up film that the guys are doing. And that was a really great opportunity to just, just you know get this out there that otherwise would have never never happened because they just didn't have the funding in fact their funding was cut because the the story was too controversial so with the support of everybody out there you know they made it happen made it big and now it's a it's a documentary everybody knows and talks about um so i really think crowdfunding is great you need to you need to make sure that you, that you can fulfill on your promise 
And there's a lot of crowdfunding out there that is just um, scammy and doesn't really, you know, doesn't really, um, doesn't really do what you what you promised them to do. Right. Yeah. Got it. And I suppose as well, if because I, I I understand that with something like Cowspiracy, <clears throat> I think a lot of people want to see something like that made because of the global impact it can have. Whereas if you're starting up, say, a, a vegan bakery or a vegan food product service and it's local, I guess you've got to make sure that you've got enough interest for a crowdfunding campaign from the local area. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. You always need to start local local interest. So the way we the way we kicked off Cineholic actually is. Dan started writing a blog, and it was called Confessions of a Cineholic, and that's how she made a name <laughs> of herself um, here in the in the local Bay Area scene. That was very competitive when it comes to uh, vegan bakeries, and she just started blogging about uh, her successes and her failures as a baker, and, and people started loving it. And then her blog ended up being mentioned several times in like big, bigger media outlets here in the Bay Area, and that's when we knew we had something. Um, and so I, I really, you, you can't expect to just start a crowdfunding campaign and then it magically takes off unless you have a really crazy idea or product. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I love the title of that blog. <coughs> Very catchy. <laughs> that's great. And that's a great strategy <laughs> as well. So thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about the, the wrapping up um, sort of now. Let's talk a little bit about mindset. Um, a lot of business owners say running and owning a business, it's the fastest and most effective form of personal development. What qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful vegan business? Sorry, what, what, was, that, what was the last part of the question? Uh, what qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful business? The qualities. Yeah, what um, personal qualities in a person do they need? Yeah. Patience. <laughs> Patience is a big one. And I would say um, acknowledgement of failure, failure, being okay with failing and realizing this didn't work so well. Let's try it again a different way. Because when I see people fail, and you, I mean, unfortunately, you see, you know, a lot of great vegan food places, they close their door after a couple of years because something happens and something doesn't go right. And it's, it's mostly something everybody else already sees. And it's like, oh, my God, you can, you can see the, the car, you know, speeding toward the wall. Um, but the business owner themselves, they don't see it because they're, they just don't want to, they don't want to see it or they don't want to accept failure and i think it's better just to fail fast a little bit here and there and 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 get get yourself back on course around the wall so you don't hit it then then ignoring the failure and just keep on going so yes you need to be super patient but also you need to realize when things just aren't going the way and then you need to find a different solution Excellent. That's great. Now, what's the obviously running a business? It can be, you know, it has its challenges. It can be quite stressful. Certainly in the beginning, you're probably working longer hours than you would, you know, working in a, a salaried job. What specific um, st steps or strategies or techniques do you use or have you used to basically ensure that you've got a good, strong mental and emotional well-being as business owners? Meditation, <laughs> definitely. Meditation has helped with all aspects of my life, but specifically when I'm feeling overwhelmed, um, which can easily happen on some days. 
Um, yeah, just like basic self-care, I think, exercise, and obviously we try to eat pretty healthy. And <clears throat> Yeah, I think you need to also acknowledge, you need to know that the first three, four years starting your own business, you'll, you're running this business 24-7, so you shouldn't be taking on other big things like, um, you know, I don't know, thing. I mean, we had, we had, um, uh, companion animals, uh, or half companion animals living with us. Um, so it was hard being, being, being dog and cat parents during the time and, and always have to worry about, okay, we need to find somebody who can take care of them, who can let them out uh, while we are focusing and being in the store. Um, so I think you really need to make sure that you, that you have the time carved out that you need. And a strong support system. We we did a, a lot of networking in the beginning and met a lot of great people that <clears throat> definitely during times of frustration were there um, to help pick us up and kick us in the butt when we needed it. <laughs> Excellent. That's very important advice. Now, interesting, obviously, now you're a couple working in, in a business together, and obviously that can present challenges. How have you managed to maintain a strong personal relationship while working together? What tips can you offer? <laughs> Uh, we don't work in the store together anymore, so that's great. <laughs> yeah. I think the only time we ever we ever fight is, or we've ever fought, is when we were standing in the store and we were all stressed out, and then something like small happened, and then you know you get into an argument. And, but you need to be okay with that. And then when you drive home from from work together, then you know everything should be okay. And I think just. In general, in every good relationship, you need to have an open line of communication, even more important when you have a business. And specifically, where in that business, you have certain roles that you own and the other person owns, and you need to be okay with being able to tell your partner, this is how we do this, because that's my expertise. And even if you don't like it, we should do it that way. Yeah, I think we're very fortunate and that we have such different skill sets and different interests that there's some pretty firm like boundary lines there. So when it when it comes to certain things or certain things pop up, I know what's his department and what's mine, and I'll just email him and say this this one's for you. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned boundaries. I think that that's an interesting one. Some of the other business owners that I've spoken to, you know, they've got certain strategies in place where they very much delineate when they're working in business, but then when they've got designated, say, family time, and they don't discuss business in that time. So, is that something that that you guys do? I think we try. I mean, it, it always is going to end up overlapping at some point. I mean, even right now with everything going on, um, he has another job that has a lot going on there, plus the franchise stuff. Plus now we have a teenager. And <laughs> so so things overlap. But yeah, just like he said, just being communicative about everything. And I think the biggest problem for us is just finding enough time to get it all done and being strategic about how we're going to get it all done in a, a short amount of time. Right, right, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. So finally, what, what have the, been the key lessons you've learned through running your business, whether personal or professional or both? That I can never go back to working <laughs> my old jobs again. <laughs> um, it's been, I think, it's been a lot of fun for me and it's definitely um, challenged what I thought that I could do for myself. I, I never thought that I would be a business owner or I don't know, just I, I've met some incredible people to just just growth 
like in general has been amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've been a serial entrepreneur. I, I did this a few times, started businesses and then either sold them or, or they pivoted and I got out. Um, but what, I mean, one of the lessons that comes up always and all the time, I think you need to do this for, for more than just wanting to make money. If you just start a business because you want to cash out big time, I don't think you're going to have have a good time and I don't think you're going to be successful. You need to have a passion for doing whatever it is that you're doing. Absolutely. I think that's very, very important. Um, what's your final question? What's your long-term vision for yourselves and for Cineholic? I mean, you've obviously got some grand plans unveiling right now, but uh, if we're looking ahead, what, what, what do you see in the future for yourselves and your brand? Well, we want Cineholic really to become a national, um, successful um, gourmet cinnamon roll chain um, and, you know, have as many locations as possible and really show people that that a vegan cinnamon roll place is really not that that crazy. And it's actually something that we that everybody should expect to have anywhere. Um, so really, yeah, driving this this whole idea of, of a vegan business can be super successful. And luckily, there are so many other very successful vegan businesses in the U.S., like Veggie Grill and 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 other businesses like this that really show you can totally with a with a 100% vegan business you can be super successful. And I think just showing that um, not only to the marketplace but also to other encouraging other businesses owner business owners to do the same. I think that's that's the big vision that we have. Wonderful. That's been great. You've shared so many wonderful insights. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. I know that uh, listeners from uh, across the globe will be uh, very inspired by your experiences and your expertise. So thank you very much, both of you, for joining me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us. So that was Florian and Shannon Radke of Cineholic. You can find out more at cineholic.com. And you can find that link on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our vegan business news roundup. The Herbivorous Butcher, the American vegan startup that's gained a lot of media coverage since its launch this year, is boldly going where veganism has never gone before. Well, not as far as we know anyway. Space. (laughs) According to a press release by Peter, the company's been approached by a scientist at the Advanced Space and Technology Research Laboratory to create a vegan meal plan for six astronauts to eat on a two-week simulated Mars mission. If the test run goes well, the company could supply the food for a real space mission. While they wait for the test results, the brother and sister team behind the herbivorous butcher have been asked to grow carrots and zinnias in Mars regolith simulant, and that's dirt that resembles the dirt on Mars. Now, obviously, this is pretty cool, and it's a fantastic opportunity for this business. I can't help but be concerned about other planets, though, because humans don't exactly have a great track record for looking after our own. Still, the fact that scientists are keen for astronauts to have vegan meals is a good sign. The herbivorous butcher is also bringing veganism to another audience. According to Veg News, it recently taped an episode of the Food Network's long-running travel show, Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives. Investors care more about sustainability than corporate executives think they do, reports the Bulldog Reporter. 
According to new research from MIT Sloan Management Review and the Boston Consulting Group, a growing number of investors are placing more weight on sustainability as evidence increases that companies' environmental, social and governance performance has an impact on their long-term financial success. The survey of over 3,000 executives and managers from more than 100 countries found that 75% of senior executives in investment firms agree that a company's sustainability performance is important to their investment decisions, and nearly half would not invest in a company with a poor sustainability track record. Yet only 60% of managers in publicly traded companies believe that good sustainability practices have an impact on investment decisions, so there's a little bit of a communications gap there. This is important for vegan business owners seeking investors because you can demonstrate how your products are good for the planet by not utilising animal-based production methods or materials. It's good to be aware of this kind of research because you can include it in proposals when you're seeking investors. The number of vegans in Britain has risen by a whopping 360% according to new research commissioned by the Vegan Society and Vegan Life magazine. According to the survey of nearly 10,000 people, there are currently 542,000 who have adopted a plant-based diet. This figure is up from 150,000 in 2006. The health aspect is believed to be a key factor in the increased numbers. Now, obviously, being vegan is more than just about what you eat, but nevertheless, these statistics are very promising and something to celebrate. And of course, vegan businesses have played an important role in making animal-free alternatives available to more and more people. As you know, I'm from the UK originally, and I remember 20 years ago, the number of vegan products was quite sparse. Now there's a huge range to choose from. So this is more evidence that now is a good time to launch a vegan-run business because the market for animal-free products is growing. In last week's episode of Vegan Business Talk, I reported on the phenomenon of aquafaba as an egg replacer for dishes such as meringues. Another egg substitute is the VEG, and that's spelt V-E-G-G, created by entrepreneur Rocky Shepard from Pennsylvania in the US. LVB ran a feature on the company which launched in 2011 with the creation of a vegan egg yolk. The VEG contains four ingredients, fortified nutritional yeast, black salt from India, which gives it the sulfury egg smell, sodium alginate, a seaweed derivative that provides the egg-like texture, and beta-carotene, which is found naturally in eggs, for colour. The product is piquing the interest of distributors and retailers in the US as well as overseas. Shepard's long-term plans are to expand the solo operation, which recorded sales of $130,000 last year. So yet more creativity from vegan entrepreneurs. I hope you're as inspired as I am to learn about all these fantastic products coming into the marketplace as viable alternatives to their animal-based counterparts. It's very, very exciting. Finally, still on the subject of egg replacements, Hampton Creek is set to launch its new vegan scrambled eggs product this year, reports Quartz. The company, which hit the media headlines with its vegan just mayo, plans to unveil around 500 new products, of which Just Scramble is one. It's part of its five-year plan to become a major player in making healthy, sustainable, cruelty-free food alternatives accessible and affordable. 
You might remember in an earlier episode of Vegan Business Talk, I reported on Hampton Creek's deal to have its products sold in Walmart and Target. As well as vegan mayonnaise, the San Francisco-based company also offers vegan cookie dough, salad dressings and pancake mix. So having big players like Hampton Creek helps to create opportunities for smaller vegan business owners, particularly in the food space. Seth Tibbet from Tofurky, who I interviewed in Episode 6 of Vegan Business Talk, said when a category becomes popular, retailers are more open to taking on a diverse range of products. So don't worry about how you can compete with these big plant-based companies. Instead, be inspired that they're opening doors and providing opportunities for you. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 